Brothers and sisters, friends, I see some enemies. Hey guys, it's Kevin and you're listening to Connecting the Dots. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'm extremely appreciative of anyone who takes the time to listen and wants to hear what I have to say. Whether they agree or not, I'm still grateful. So thank you guys for being here today. Hope this episode uh, finds you better than the last one. I hope you guys are doing whatever you can to empower and sustain yourselves, whatever that means to you. Uh, Today's episode is going to be based off a new book called The Meritocracy Trap by Daniel Markovitz. If you are interested in classism or class disparities or you identify as a member of the middle or the working class and this book is absolutely for you i was fascinated by it to be honest the author talks a lot about um the illusion of the american dream the contradiction of meritocracy which is basically just working based off of your own merit or hard work he talks a lot about schools housing the economy capitalism all kinds of good stuff it's a dope book has lots of insights lots of facts history and everything else you need to empower yourselves especially if you do identify as a member of the middle or the working class. But with all that said, guys, I'm super excited for this one, so let's just get straight to it. Before we get into the meat of this, let's let's address the, the title of this book. The Meritocracy Trap. Merit. It means what you're worthy of, what you earned, what you worked for. It's whatever is justified based off of your own personal work or effort. Now, ideally... This sounds fair. This sounds just, yeah. If you work hard, it should be reflected in your compensation. If you come to work early, you go to the trainings, if you're improving on your performance or anything like that, then you're working harder and you should be rewarded. Especially if the guy next to you is being lazy or tardy or irresponsible or whatever, then you would deserve the raise or the promotion or whatever it is that you're looking for. When portrayed this simplistically, though, everything sounds fair, sure. In fact, meritocracy claims to be fair, claims to allow freedom and opportunity for everyone, but... The author disagrees. It's deceptive, and as usual, there's a lot to be critical of when applying this concept to the reality of the situation. The author says that it is meritocracy that is actually sustaining our toxic inequalities, and it actually became what it was once intended to fight. So now, there are two Americas, one for the rich and one for the rest, and that's what we're here to talk about. The author compares our current-day meritocrats, as he calls them, aka the rich, he just calls... The elites meritocrats, this is a term for them. But he compares these meritocrats to the old school aristocrats who were also rich. But aristocrats, these were people of a distinctly privileged upper class and they held an exceptional rank or status within their society, usually uh, obtained hereditarily, meaning they were just born into privilege and they were in charge of the show and people tolerated that. So meritocrats, again, that's just what the author calls the elites. He says that they are kind of in a way like contemporary aristocrats. Let's look into this a little bit. The old elite, back in the day, the old elite, they held their wealth in land. They held it in property. And then later on with uh, industrialization, you know, they held it in factories. So property, capital, shit like that. But the more wealthy you were, the more land you had. The new elites, they hold their wealth in themselves, in their training, in their skills and education, in addition to their networks and connections and resources and all that shit. But all of this makes the new elites very well-invested human capital, as he says. They get the best of everything from birth. They are born in the best hospitals. They go to the best daycare centers, the best schools, high schools, and Ivy League schools. They get into the, they get the best jobs with the best training. And then with all that, they get a nice income so they can get the best homes in the best neighborhoods, best health care, so on and so on. 
But here's the difference. Aristocrats were born into privilege, and it was maintained by their status and name alone for the most part, so they didn't really have to do much else. Meritocrats, or the contemporary elite, they are also born into privilege, yes, but they have to work to sustain it. They have to go to, the, they have to, go to school, they have to go to the best colleges, and they have to get great jobs, otherwise well, they'll, they'll lose their status, they'll, they'll slide downwards. Merit tells you that you have to work hard, or you'll fail. So they still have to work extremely hard to maintain what they have. They were just born with a tremendous head start compared to the rest of us. But think about it. Right now, there are some very lucky babies being born right now, no older than a few days or a few hours even. And they have already inherited more wealth, more capital, more resources than most of us, than most people will ever attain within their lifetimes. So this becomes the new way that the elites create their dynasties. Their well-invested capital, remember, they sustain themselves with everything they have uplifting them. Eventually, though, their superlative training and their superlative education and resources, well, it starts to create a gap, an achievement gap between them and the rest of us who don't have access to such luxuries. And this, this breeds some serious inequalities, and this is where shit gets problematic. As a result, meritocracy allows the elites to isolate themselves from society through their wealth, and then they can sustain themselves with their privileges and advantages, allowing for the creation of more dynasties. So it's like a wealth creates more wealth. It's a cycle. The most important tool for this, though, for this uh, transmission of wealth or class, is through education. It's essential. It's necessary. And their education is intense. Let's, let's talk about education and meritocracy, because honestly, there's a lot to look at here. We already said that elites have to continue to reestablish themselves so they can maintain themselves. And this is done through education. It's not the old days no more where they're just born with a good old name and they're given status, they're given privilege. No, they have, to, they have to go to school. They have to get an education. They have to work so that they can maintain what they have. The author says that the meritocracy has actually transformed education into a rigorous and competitive institution. And I buy it. We've talked about how competitive school and education has become before. But in the reading, this shit does not sound fun. Although these kids, yes, they go to the best schools, it doesn't mean it's a cakewalk. They have to work rigorously to keep up and take advantage of all the investment and all the resources they have working for them. Plus, they have to be, they have to be a success. They have to succeed. Otherwise, they can't sustain their positioning. So they have to not just do well, but they have to be great. They're encouraged to be great from childhood, from inception. Same thing uh, when they go to college and, and they get their careers. These people are hard workers. But they're also, as a result of this, sometimes toxically competitive. But since education is the most valuable tool for these elites to invest in their children and to invest in their human capital, their schools aren't like our schools. They have to be, they have to be elite as well. They have to be stacked with, with great teachers and great staff and resources. Kind of similar to the, to the Nordic countries that we talked about last year. Except in the Nordic countries, it's across the board. It's public. Here, these well-invested teachers and staff and resources are limited to a very narrow and wealthy group and they are used for their benefit throughout their lifetimes and even past that because they send their kids and their kids' kids to these schools where they can continue to maintain themselves. Also, these, these wealthier school districts, they simply, at the end of the day, they just have more resources to garner more money than other school districts, especially the poor ones. For example... The rich widely practice and participate in PTAs and school booster funds and local school foundations. I don't even know what some of this shit is, but it's shit that allows them to accumulate more money, especially considering the audience that you're 
you know, keep it, keep these people in mind. Like they're very rich. So when these fools want to start, you know, donating a little money, it's not just a little. They got their nice big old pocketbooks. Plus, in addition to that, the parents or their parents are very, they're very involved. They're very influential in the schooling and their education for their kids. So these resources alone allow for an advantage in the accumulation of money and funding and direction. But working class and poor people can't always afford to spare such funds, even if it is for their own child's education. It's simple. When you have the money to literally invest in yourself, you can. And if you don't have the money, well, then you settle for what you can get and you work with what you have, no matter how menial it may be, especially in comparison. So the working people in the middle class often have to settle. They have to compromise. And the wealthy, they just have more options, much better ones at that. In addition to this, the author says that this uh, unequal investment in education and, and kids starts at the state level. So it's not just an individual issue, but the state is the one that sets the tone. For example, kids in Connecticut, a, a wealthier state, they'll get about $18,000 per student per year. Kids in Mississippi, though, a much poorer state, will get only $8,000 per student per year. So here's, here's some more disparities. Obviously, we just said a poor kid in a poor state gets about $8,000 a year. A middle-class kid in a middle-income state will get about $12,000 a year. A middle-class kid in a rich state, though, will get about $18,000 a year. And here's where, it, here's where it really takes off. A rich kid in a rich state gets about $27,000 per student per year. And finally, the very rich at the most elite schools will get about $75,000 per student per year. This is not normal. It's actually a departure from past American practice and international standards. It's not normal to have this kind of distinction and separation and not be outraged. This type of imbalance leads to extreme inequities, and this much imbalance will lead to equal amounts of political and social instability, which is why other countries don't allow for shit like this. The reality is we are depriving certain people, in this case children, of educational and social investment based off the mere fact that they were born into a lower echelon of class through no fault of their own. They're deprived of educational investment because it's being primarily directed or utilized for wealthier families, people who can buy their way in. This is fucking heinous. Look at the numbers again, man. You're going to tell me it's not atrocious to invest some kid's education at 75k per year and another one only gets 8,000 per year? How is that not fucked up? They're kids, man. They're the future. But I guess that's the end game, right? The future. Who do you think is going to have the most influence on the future? Hmm? Who's going to call the shots and get in the best positioning to deploy their capital? I can tell you right now, it's probably not going to be that kid that was only deemed worthy of $8,000 worth of investment. So, it's maintenance then, right? The sustainment and perpetuation of the status quo, and the status quo is mass inequalities, as we just covered. The elite kids will be in the best positioning in the future so that they can maintain the status quo, and then their kids can do the same, and all will remain well in their eyes. Here's some more inequalities, though. The top public schools that are located in wealthier school districts that are sustained by the local real estate taxes. They spend about two to three times more per student than simply middle-class schools do. In addition to this, elite private schools who spend up to six times more than middle-class schools do. In fact, check this shit out, because this part was just devastating to read, honestly. The author says that right now, economic inequality today is so severe, it's so bad, that we are currently producing greater educational inequality than American apartheid once did, meaning when schools were segregated. So our economic inequality is so bad right now that it is producing 
educational inequality that is even worse than it was at the height of the Jim Crow era. The people asked for equality, not a nicer or less obvious form of separation. The state told the people, fine, y'all want to be equal so bad, then go sit at that weak-ass school with the other poor people. It don't matter what color you are, because you're still poor. Is that equal enough for you? When we think of, quote, the, the two Americas, we usually think of race. But this type of systemic inequality is also equally, if not more, responsible for the creation of our two Americas. The system works well for those who are well invested. This intense meritocratic competition that we partake in, it creates a divide. And this divide eventually excludes the middle class and the poor people from opportunities of general growth. Even if the poor or the middle class kids could get into these schools, the elites were bred for this type of environment. Literally, the author goes into detail about their training and their upbringings and their childhood. They were bred for success. They were bred for competition, for intensity, for domination. The rest of us would just have a much more difficult time adjusting. Reflecting back on some of the earlier episodes that we covered on education, uh, we know that this isn't necessarily the most genuine way to educate students in a competitive and intense environment. I mean, obviously it can breed some very intelligent, articulate, and knowledgeable people, especially when backed with this kind of wealth and funding. But at the end of the day, it doesn't solve our fundamental problems. We should be aspiring to dismantle the system that breeds so much educational and economic inequalities while revolutionizing education in a way that serves all the people and their practical needs. Because if not, well then, this exclusive education and these wealthy schools will all continue to favor the rich and exclude the middle class from opportunities of social mobility. The elites don't necessarily deserve these schools or this investment or advantage more than the rest of society, more than the rest of us. But they can buy it, hence why it's theirs. That's it. Nobody is better than the other one. One just has access. You bet your ass that most kids would succeed if they too had $75,000 worth of systemic investment per year. But the United States continues to concentrate educational investment to a narrow and elite group despite the very overt inequalities. I mean, think about it. Maybe, maybe we would have less prisoners, less patients, less homelessness if our country spread its educational investment instead of choosing to concentrate it. Human investment doesn't usually waste itself. Human investment doesn't like to be wasted. In fact, when the people see that they are not invested in, when they are not cared for or nurtured, then that evolves into some very problematic individuals. And as you know, problematic individuals, yes, can affect society. It affects society by creating more social work cases, more probation cases, more police cases, more mental health crises, more homelessness. By not investing in all of our people, we breed and we invite these type of social and individual issues. Look at, look at Germany, on the other hand. They, they spread their education much more broadly, much more equitably. Germany doesn't have private schools or private colleges the way that we do, and as a result, they have no competitive culture. We've talked about this before, this competitive culture and this mindset that is instilled from childhood in this country is a factor and one reason for so many of our problems, our narcissism, our pride, our apathy, excessive individuality, opportunism, anger, and a lack of collective practices all result from this over-competitive training and mindset, this competition. Check back though, check back in 10 or 20 years and we'll see which country is functioning better. The crumbling empire that chooses to maintain its inequities? Or the other ones, who are often much too arrogant to even want to learn from. 
It should be no surprise that, with this much extreme educational inequities as a result, of course the workforce is also going to become more polarized as well. We've talked about this before. Rising economic inequality is due in part to these uh, superordinate workers, as the author calls them, these super workers, the, the elites. But it's due to their increasing dominance over middle class workers. The rest of us literally cannot compete with the rich. They diminish us. Their education diminishes ours, even if we both have one. Their references diminishes ours. Their resources diminish ours. Their training and skills and voices all diminish ours while in competition. They are well-invested human capital, and when the world is prioritized around capital, well, then these guys are the fucking cream of the crop. You can't get any better. So, the rich now dominate the rest of us by deploying their super labor, their super skills, and training, and education, and networks, and all that shit. This meritocratic inequality excludes almost everyone from the elite schools and jobs, and this can deprive the middle class of any form of social mobility. Obviously, it's not impossible for people of working class or middle class and even poor backgrounds to work their way into these elite institutions or schools or jobs, but I'm sure you may even know some of these people. I know some of these people. Some of these people are you listening right now. Nothing but respect for all their hard work, despite the obstacles, despite the barriers. But just because some people can do it doesn't mean that all people can, and we are not free. We are not liberated until all people have the means to uplift themselves, until all people are equally invested and cared for, despite your personal success. This doesn't mean that everyone has to be a success as a result, that everyone's rich or happy or some utopian dream. Just that everyone has access to opportunities to embedder themselves. That everyone has access to high-quality education, housing, and healthcare, which are not unreasonable demands from the wealthiest nation on Earth. If this mindset is not one that you share despite your personal success, then... Honestly, you lack the empathy and the basics to stand with humanity, and I'm not fucking talking to you. The media, celebrities, and even the people you know, they love to emphasize these rags-to-riches story. But at the end of the day, they are stories, and stories do not mask the existing structural inequalities that we face. And the handful of people that you know who made it are still not a reflection of the masses or the forgotten. We have to look at the big picture, not just the individual picture all the time. Middle class stagnation and elite prosperity and the rising economic and social divisions of this country, they all fit together. These things go together. It's a fucking package deal. Elite prosperity and growth usually means middle class stagnation. The rich cannot get richer without stagnating the middle class. Look at it from today's perspective. Recently, I think we just had a new richest man in the world, Elon Musk. He passed up uh, Jeff Bezos for a little bit. Good, good for that jackass. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he also increased his net worth, and I think eventually Jeff Bezos took over again and also became the richest man once, once more. But all of this, all these guys getting rich and making billions, while millions of people lost their jobs, went on unemployment, lost housing and stability, and yes, all of this during a national crisis and pandemic. In fact, the author finds that state-by-state -state comparisons show that the ascent of the rich and the stagnation of the middle class go hand in hand. A correlation exists. The rich cannot get richer without stagnating the middle class. The quest for profits, for expansion, more business, more capital, devours everything in its path, including people. If it's not that, then it's because the rest simply cannot compete with the rich and their training and resources and education. The author identifies two types of economic inequality. One of them being... High-end, which is inequality between the rich and the middle class. 
and the other one being low-end, which is inequalities between the middle class and the poor. Right now, in America, the rich are not just light years away from the poor, but they're pulling further and further away from the middle class as well, pushing the middle class and the poor together. As the middle class struggles to keep up, many people simply can't, so they slide backwards into poverty, unable to sustain their middle class lifestyles, shrinking the middle class and deepening the divide. This is why people say the middle class is shrinking. Either way, the rich pulling this far away from the rest of us is inviting catastrophe. Economic inequality leads to political inequality, and political inequality leads to exploitation and oppression and possibly subjugation. One class of people are being exalted, while the rest are being pushed down into subservience. This economic exclusion has nothing to do with individual failure, though. The people are doing exactly what they were told to do for the most part. We went to their schools that conveniently hide the realities of American history. We took their loans and carried their debts, which are forms of social control so we can go to college like they said. We graduated, and then we come into a competitive job market not designed for human fulfillment. We accept wages that are not a reflection of our worth and beneath us, but we accept them anyways because options are limited. And then we pay taxes like we're supposed to, but those taxes are utilized for bank and corporate bailouts in times of crisis. But meritocracy says that it's our fault, right? Because we're not working hard enough, right? I guess it's not hard work to go to school and get a part-time job and put yourself through college or grad school. It's not hard work to be a parent uh, and work all week at the expense of your health or happiness or time with your kids. Teaching, nursing, manual labor, customer service, community service, electric work, plumbing, running a small business. That's not hard work, right? Well... Meritocracy says not enough because if you were working hard enough, then there would be no inequalities. But that is bullshit. Nobody works harder in this country than the middle class and the working people. But despite that, the existing tax structure is making the middle class labor the highest tax factor in the economy. Huh? So the meritocracy by nature and by manipulation disguises class disparities and it justifies economic inequality. They put the blame back onto you and tell you to put the blame on others for, quote, not making it. We blame the poor for being lazy. We blame the homeless for being addicts. We blame the struggling for not going to college. We blame the young for their mistakes and so on and so on. Shit, we'll even see fucking tragedies on the news and people will be out here blaming the fucking victims. Our... Economic inequality is a result of an unjust allocation of resources, of investment and advantage. It has nothing to do with personal failure. Not always, anyways. Economic inequality today is not driven by poverty or laziness or the uneducated. It's driven by concentrated wealth. Concentrated wealth means concentrated high-quality education. Concentrated high-quality housing and healthcare resources. Shit like that. You know, all the stuff that could actually breed a more stable and functioning society and human beings. Don't criticize anyone for their financial positioning or financial shortcomings before you take the time and the responsibility to criticize the system, the culture, and the priorities of the system itself. Even if the system works for you or your family, it should be evident that it does not work for everyone, especially those that are struggling the hardest. This alone shows you the contradiction and hypocrisy of meritocracy, making it invalid because it leaves millions of people behind. When a system leaves millions of people behind, it's unsuccessful. I don't know if you figure that out right now. It is unsuccessful if you live lavishly while others are condemned to wretchedness and suffering and mountain climbing while you're able to fly over the fucking problems that money can afford. Democracy's function, its intention was, if ever necessary, to snuff out outnumbered elites from their concentrated wealth or domination. That was a pivotal point of democracy, was it not? If that's true, 
then I think it's safe to say that we are partly to blame only that we are not conscious, we are not mobilized or invigorated enough to come together to demand legitimate change. No government can expect its people to remain loyal or content or peaceful when its government is condemning its own people to an insufferable existence. No nation as powerful and wealthy and prosperous as the United States can claim the title the greatest while allowing its people to live lives of poverty, criminality, addiction, and under such a unjust allocation of resources and investment. I mean, think about it. If you have two kids and you only give one of them love and attention and effort, and the other kid, he's going to take note. He's going to notice. He's going to watch. He's going to live in his deprivation and his inequality and in his humiliation and anger. So that one forgotten and dismissed kid, now he's got two enemies, right? His parent and his sibling. Just like we have two enemies, the state and private elites. Again, this episode is not supposed to throw personal hate or anything towards the rich. There will always be rich people and there will always be poor people. I'm, I'm kind of expecting that. I don't hate the rich for simply being rich. If anything, sometimes I feel sorry for them. The author goes into detail about how they are trained and bred. And I won't get into all that shit because my sympathy only goes so far. But they themselves are also products of the system. And some of them are even starting to turn against it. Some of them are done with this dogmatism and intensity and competition. is too ruthless. It's too hard on them. Born to live competitively and intensely and individually? That's, that's no way to live. Not for me, anyways. I prefer to be... I would prefer to be rich in spirit, rich in mindset, rich in knowledge and wisdom. I want rich health, rich food, a rich environment. Most people I know, they don't even necessarily want to be rich. They just want to be happy. They just want some peace and stability and a life with purpose. I don't... I mean, I don't know a lot of people that would say no to some extra money, but for the most part, people just want happiness. People just want peace. What, what, what could be more rich than that? Having money, yes, it can buy you a laptop, but it can't buy you wisdom. It can't buy you intellect. Being rich can buy you a big-ass house, but it can't buy you a home. It can't buy you inner peace. It can't buy you love. Also, you don't even need money to be deemed worthy of a success. Only a system that values money and capital more than human well-being will tell you that. Regardless, all that stuff doesn't mean we don't have some fucking problems to talk about that demand immediate rectification. So far, we just kind of talk about the rich very abstractly. That might be intentional because the rich, they live differently than the rest of us. They, we, we can't really relate to them. We already mentioned how education is the elite's most valuable to. And naturally, when you get a nice education, a nice income will follow. But facing no restrictions, no barriers that most working people face, the rich can simply pick up and move wherever they want, whenever they want, isolating themselves if they want. They relocate to places that cater to their lifestyles and they want to be around people like themselves. Look at, look at Trump as an example of this, man. This man caused all this chaos. He fucking punched America in the balls. He got voted out. And then that food just dipped into the sunset. I haven't heard a fucking peep from him. The elites don't need to segregate themselves with guns or walls or guards. They can segregate themselves with housing prices and rent. Not just anybody can roll up to the nice part of town and demand a seat at the table. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be worthy of it. You just gotta have the money. But what happens though? What happens to a city when they get enough rich people all together living like that? Well, now you have a concentration of wealth that feeds the richest cities and the richest schools, providing, as a result, longer life expectancies, better health care, less pollution, less crime, and of course, greater political power. 
That is what a concentration of wealth creates, and that is 100% diametrical to the reality and the environment of the working class people. The rich are able to create a safe haven, they create a filter, a bubble for themselves, while the rest of society is destined for a lifetime of struggle and instability. But meritocracy says that it's the working class people's fault for not concentrating wealth the way that the rich did. To exemplify this, about, about three-fifths of the Harvard Business School graduates will end up living in the top 5% highest earning incomes. This clearly shows that a great school will set you up for a great life. But not everyone gets access to these schools. And that's where my fucking problem is. When a certain group starts concentrating societal institutions, yeah, I got a fucking problem with that. Another problem I have is something that the author actually introduced me to. Is I, it was the first time hearing this for me. Uh, got it from the book. It's called Concierge Medical Care. This is basically medical care for the top 1% or the, the very rich. Obviously, yes, they pay extra money for this, but what does that fucking matter when certain people on this planet have more money than God? But this specific medical care, it gives them access to things like round-the-clock physician access, same-day appointments, and basically just offering all these highly personalized healthcare. Look it up. Look up the prices and what it can buy you. It is luxury medical care. There are memberships. There are platinum cars, high-quality attention, all the good shit. Personally, I think there's something kind of sick about a system that allows millions of people to live their lives without healthcare, without life-sustaining medicine, with overpriced treatment and drugs, with overworked and understaffed nurses and doctors while the wealthiest can simply bypass such issues, among hundreds of others. I mean, let's, let's compare experiences here. These guys get same-day appointments, personalized care. Last time I went to fucking 24-hour urgent care near the beginning of the pandemic, it was like in April 2020, it's like a year ago, they said I couldn't come in because all of a sudden they changed their hours. They directed me to an emergency room, which wasn't too far, but I already knew that I'm going to have to pay more money by going there. But I go anyways. Again, limited options. So I get there, and the nurses were, they were very helpful, they were very thorough, everyone was cool. But the doctor, the, the doctor barely gave me the time of day. In fact, she didn't even, she wasn't even a little bit helpful. She seemed agitated by me coming in at 3 in the morning, honestly. Uh, but this story isn't about her. It's about the differences in experience, my experience versus their experience with healthcare. Think about what you see and what you feel when you walk into urgent care or the emergency room and that entire experience, and then compare it to what you can imagine concierge care to be. You don't even have to imagine it. Look it up. Then, think about the people who simply don't have access to medical insurance, and all the stress, and all the debt, and bills, and worries that come not with getting sick, but after you're treated. Now you have a whole other mountain of issues to worry about on top of your physical health. This is a fucking problem to me, bro. A service as luxurious as concierge medical care is insulting to the working class, to the middle class, and the struggling people of this country. As this pandemic has clearly shown, health is a public issue. Mental health is a public issue. So give everyone health care. Give everyone health justice. Give everyone treatment. If the rich want to keep their concierge care, that's fine. Buy it. Keep it. I don't really care. But the rest of us, the disenfranchised, the poor, the working, the handicapped, the terminal, the youth, the children, women and men, human beings, we fucking deserve healthcare and investment just as much as any wealthy individual. They can call us essential workers and heroes and brave frontliners and they'll give nothing in return for that. 
They give you feel-good names. They give you shout-outs. They give you commercials and signs and hearts. They give you the bare minimum, brother. People are dying through no fault of their own. And the so-called most powerful, wealthy, and greatest nation in this planet's history could not and would not protect them. If the pandemic has not got you questioning the healthcare system or your insurance or your politicians, then get the fuck off this podcast and pick up a book. Look into the issue. Do concern research. Ask around. Do whatever you got to do, man, to mobilize individually first because we are way past due for such a necessity. Doctors, nurses, healthcare providers, EMTs, paramedics, they all sign up for their jobs to help people, to heal, to save, to treat. You can't even genuinely sign up for a job like that without some form of empathy in your heart. But the healthcare system is anything but empathetic. Profit is the incentive, not your health. You have to, you have to excuse my little tangent, but damn, that shit pisses me off. Maybe I'll make a another episode, another episode covering some of this shit. Um, healthcare justice. I just read a book on on the healthcare system and healthcare justice, so maybe we can get get into that uh, sometime. But let me get let me get back on topic a little bit. We were talking about the distinctions between the rich and the rest. In addition to living what we can call luxurious and privileged lives, the rich also have greater access not just to jobs, not just to education or healthcare, but power. Our official and political leaders, along with some unofficial leaders like celebrities or athletes or whatever, they're all rich. They all got money, man. So right there, right out the gate. There is a distinction. There is a chasm, a rift. They are different and they live different lives with different priorities. And yet, they are put in, or they're allowed to be put in positions of power and make decisions on our behalf. The laws and policies in this country are dictated by money and lobbying and attention. Who has access to money, lobbying, and attention again? Oh, that's right. The middle class are law takers. We are vulnerable to regulations. We are vulnerable to rules and taxes and impositions and laws. The rich choose to accept or reject such barriers. We don't have that choice. The current placement of power should be evident, should be seen as a problem because the placement of power is supposed to lie with us collectively as a people. But economic inequality weakens social solidarity. It's hard to care about others. It's hard to care about other people and their struggles when you have your own. It's hard to mobilize and communicate when you're distracted. It's hard to organize when you don't care or you're too exhausted to care. Economic inequality disrupts social cohesion, social solidarity. And when that's disrupted, you don't have the opportunity to get on the same page. You don't have the opportunity to come together. So, the people become persons. And then all these persons are susceptible to other people, people with money, a bigger voice, more resources, more power. And now, here we are. Guys, our current ideals related to fairness and inequality and merit, they all spawn from the meritocracy, from the system. The culture, the system, is what creates the norms. But for rectification, it is up to us to reject the old norms for its injustices and inequalities. It is up to us to create new norms and new values, foundation in empathy and justice, equality and fairness. Personally, with everything wrong in this country, I am most concerned with the dramatic class disparities that we're facing. We have a lot of issues. I, I know this. Don't get me wrong. But this is most alarming to me 
because social cohesion is so difficult to form, let alone social solidarity, when economic inequality is so prevalent, it prevents us from uniting, it makes it more difficult. Combine this economic instability with our racial venom and fear and ignorance, and the people may never be on the same page. That would be a tragedy. Despite our differences and issues, and despite our resentments and our histories, we do have common adversaries. I told you who they are. This whole podcast from its inception has attempted to show you who your adversaries are and why. This meritocratic inequality is dividing our society even further than it already is, while condemning people to live lives of deprivation, and that is why it is my main concern. I know, I know that we are more than capable collectively of forging a fresh new path and capable of challenging the culture and the system and the current way of doing things. No matter what, though, we're going to need new ideas. We're going to need new concepts and applications, new systems, new everything. Rectify anything that does not serve the people to the best of its abilities, even if that means yourself. If the political will existed, change would have came by now. But it hasn't. Meaning the rich, the elites, the politicians, they have no desire to change anything. How could they? They defend the system with their lives and they tell you to do the same because it works for them. But what about the rest? In case you're listening, you're probably part of the rest, so that decision is up to you to make. I challenge you, the listener, to put yourself in a position to help in whatever way possible. This system was developed over generations and years, so it will take years and generations to dismantle or rebuild, most likely. But in the meantime, it is our responsibility to pitch in, to set up the future for more success than we had. That means advocating for change and partaking in it. It could be making education all-inclusive, redistributing concentrated wealth by giving higher taxes to the rich and corporations, or by decreasing the military budget, changing the the tax structure, devoting money to mid-level jobs for the middle class and the working class people, or advocating for healthcare justice. It doesn't really matter. Most issues are connected. By helping one, you're helping all. If you really have no idea what to do or where to start, but you want to help, then at the very least... Reading this book is a good place to start so you can empower yourself with the knowledge of our reality. Of course, I will leave the link in the description so you guys can buy it. It's a great fucking book, man. There had, there, there's so much in there that I didn't get to cover uh, related to uh, cultural, professional, uh, geographical, and even recreational differences between the rich and the rest of us. It talks a lot about merit and the culture, the system, policies, all kinds of stuff, man. I really hope you guys... Really hope you guys can read the book whenever you get the chance. It's super informative. It's a challenging book. It has a lot to offer. It's not very difficult to read. Um, I wish I could have shared more of its content, to be honest. Uh, But the information is there for you. And it will only strengthen your perspective. I'll also share this episode's protest song recommendation in the description as well. It's by Rage Against the Machine. And the song is called Snake Charmer. Dope-ass song. Rock is by far my favorite genre of music, and this is actually the first rock song I'm sharing for the new season. It's not for everyone, I get it, sure, Uh, but at least listen to the lyrics. It seems to me like he's talking about the soullessness and emptiness that that comes with the American dream and chasing riches, kind of like we were talking about. Here's a quote. He says, quote, An empty dream, a selfish, horrific vision passed on like the deadliest of viruses, crushing you and your naive profession. Vomit all ideals and serve. Sleep and wake and serve. And don't just think. Just wake and serve. Alright man, thank you all for listening. I hope this episode offered you at least some new insights. But what I really hope is that this episode can help expand your perspective and ignites something in you 
to compel you to action or making changes, personal, socially, whatever. But thank you guys for listening and taking the time to feed yourself with, with knowledge that most people don't take the time to do. But be proud, be strong. We fucking need it. Until next time, y'all. Peace. You get up and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. We no longer live in a world of nations and ideologies. The world is a college of corporations, inexorably determined by the immutable bylaws of business. The world is a business. And I have chosen you to preach this evangel.